happy Pride Month to us. <laughs> I, I honestly, this Pride Month, it's not really Pride. It's not gay Pride. It's like it's more like I mean, gay. I feel like Pride Month has lost its way. No, this is gay wrath. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, what are the five um, sins of God? It's <laughs> the seven deadly sins. I didn't know why we had to bring in. No, but isn't them. it like pride, wrath, gluttony, yeah. sexual? It's lust. It's called lust. Lust. And like, I don't really care about the rest. But if there's a, I don't know. Listen, is this a Christian girl podcast now? You know, Christian we're girl both, autumn. We're both confirmed, and I live across the street from a church. <laughs> like the church bells go off while we're recording this. We can this. hear the church bells from this room if we wanted to. Um, but anyway, no, it hasn't felt like pride. I don't even know. Someone posted on their story yesterday, are you going to gay pride this year? Yes or no? I'm like, should I just put no? I don't know what I'm doing. I think it's in a couple weeks, but I, I'll i see what the boys are up to. Whatever $3 bill is throwing, maybe I'll spend like Two hundred dollars to like go in their backyard. Well, if someone wants to meet Rob, go to three dollar bill. Yes, I will be there. I'm hosting. Um, <laughs> um, even though I'm not on the lineup, I am. I will be hosting there. Uh, pop up for GBF. Geraldine won't be there, but um, speaking of GBF, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Um, this, this is GBF. GBF. Um, the gay podcast, the gay book podcast, where we read books, and if they are not gay. We'll make them gay. As always. Um, but today we're switching it up a little bit because I, sometimes it's like, you know, we do have a book podcast. And like, I love to read. But sometimes it's like, I just don't love to read. And like, I've been traveling. Safely? Very safely. Ooh, not the traveling. <laughs> I've not left the house in a few months. Um, <laughs> That's not true. You moved. Yeah, I moved. I'm not in the city anymore, baby. From one basement to another. Tale of two basements. Geraldine's literally like a crypt keeper. Like does not see the sun, doesn't want to be above ground. I think it's a mood. And this basement's sick. Little do you guys know. But anyway, we're here in studio together today. Um, I'm back from all of my stupid traveling. And I haven't been reading um, as much as I probably should have been reading. But that's okay. Because today's episode is something that I've really been excited to do for a long time. Um, which is really just sort of like dive into book what well, I guess you could just call book culture. Like all the things that surround the books we've read, what's going on in literature right now? What's what are the trends and where do we like center ourselves in all of the I don't know, ongoing discourse with most popular books at the moment. Um and Geraldine, I know you love to read but I feel like you're very much like you're that girl who reads those books that are hot off the press. Like you have books that are coming down the line, you know they're coming, you follow series. And you must be really excited for, like, a bunch of new shit that's coming out, right? I guess so. <laughs> because, I mean, <laughs> you sound thrilled. <laughs> you sound exhilarated. But um, I thought it would be really fun today to dive into what I, what always brought me to reading and what always made, like, especially, like, we all, I mean, not we all, but, like, we grew up. And I would say the era of, like, YA explosion, mm. eruption volcano. Yeah. Like Mount Vesuvius of, oh my God, everyone reads books. It's so much fun. And then all your favorite books get turned into movies. Obviously Harry Potter, which I don't feel like touching with a 10 foot elder wand on this podcast right now, if ever, maybe one day. Maybe if we are, I don't know, gun to the head. (laughs) Bottom of the barrel scraping. Sure. Swallow this pill. Yeah. Uh, Things (laughs) I... (laughs) 
things that it's all apologies potion or um listen i never said i wasn't a potterhead i'm just saying i don't want to talk listen, we all went through it okay? i just don't want to talk about it i got the robes i got the wands if you have if you have ever bought anything off of the immaculate collection you are never allowed to be on the podcast um i i've bought everything from there um do you know, do you know the immaculate collection no you don't no the immaculate collection not sponsored should I look it up? You buy all the wands. That's the wand replicas. The prefect pins, the sweaters. Reception? No. <laughs> Reception. Collection. Collection. The Immaculate Conception is Mother Mary. <laughs> Why are we turning into religious today? It's an album by Madonna. Oh. What the fuck? Wait, 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 wait. The Immaculate Collection is Madonna's best hits album. Okay. What is the name of the website? Where you buy all the Harry Potter ones. The, Ima- the Noble Collection. The Noble Collection. Also, listen to the Immaculate Collection. My friend who's a Madonna stan, if you're listening, Max, he's going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> if you've ever bought something from the Immaculate Collection, you're never allowed on the podcast. Okay, scratch from the record. I actually support Madonna, one of the original pop star superstars. Listen, change. We, we saw Rebel Heart. We were at the Rebel Heart tour in... Atlantic City, baby. <laughs> 2016? We were like 15. 2015? We had no right to be there. That's a story for another episode, if that ever comes up. But today, we're talking about book adaptations. Um, Not Harry Potter, sorry. Maybe. Maybe. Because women. I support Harry Potter, but the Harry Potter written by Hatsune Miku. Does that exist? Yeah. What do you mean, though? Hatsune Miku wrote Harry Potter. Like AI, like rewrote it. No, no, she wrote it. She. Oh. <laughs> she just wrote it. No, I forgot. <laughs> you know what? You're right. Um, you're right, though. Um, stream Hatsune. Um, she's definitely like. Where is she on the Chromatica? No, Born This Way, remix album. Do you think she's on it? I hope she is. I think she would be on more Chromatica. Yeah, she's more Because is Hatsune Miku a queer artist? She's she's ones and zeros, baby. No, I'm not leaving her. (laughs) She may not be bisexual, but she is binary. Well, actually, she is kind of bisexual. There's a lot of gay songs. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's queer. Hatsune Miku, there's no doubt that she's queer coded. And for anyone who doesn't know what queer coded means, it basically just means... Queer coded because she's coded. Oh! <laughs> well, Friday, does everyone know who Hatsune Miko is? It doesn't. I hope you do. But for anyone who doesn't, she's like a computer-generated little singer. So that's that's where all this is coming from. But so she's not real. But she did write Harry Potter. Um, queer coded. You're watching TV. You're like five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you're like that character is a little off. Like if you've ever watched Lilo and Stitch. And Pleakley is there with the wigs and everything. And you're like, I don't understand this character, but I know there's something going on here. But they'll never explicitly say that they're gay. Um, Gender fluid. That's queer coded. And a lot of times it's exploited or there's conversations about it. It's silly. It's stupid. But we'll get into it. Because book adaptations are probably why I started reading like millions of other kids. Like, oh, the movie. Oh, I'll read the book. Oh, I went to Barnes and Noble. And first of all, movie covers. Do you hate movie covers of books? Like when the, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Hate. I think they should be absolutely Is abolished. Is that a question? Or? I'm just saying. I'm just establishing that's the worst. I Honestly, I don't like real people on covers. Like that's just not my deal. Yeah, because it reminds me of one of like a Walgreens romance novel. And then it like, it sort of like clouds your like, 
imagination when you're reading, when you see someone on the cover. I don't want anyone to tell me what the character is supposed to look like other than a description. Yeah. Which is actually a great segue into controversies with live action movies, which I don't know if we want to get into this right away. I don't have a perfect layout for where I want to go. But character descriptions, the dissonance between a character description and how they're depicted on film, there's always going to be dissonance between fans and obviously whoever is like, you know, casting the movie. I remember I was so mad about The Hunger Games for no really re- big reason, just that I thought Jennifer Lawrence was too pretty. <laughs> didn't really... Cause she, I didn't I mean, think she was like... Like, famished enough. No, I mean, she has Which is, amazing cheekbones, yeah. porcelain. I won't say pale skin, because she looks pretty tan in the movies. I mean, I guess she looks strong. Yeah. I guess that's what Well, the first of all, she ate. I'm just gonna say it right here. I yeah. think Hunger Games is one of the best casted. I've said this on record before. But at first, I had my qualms. I remember being mad about it. It didn't make sense to me. Also, Liam Hemsworth is the worst casted, because... No one likes him either way. No one likes him either way, but he's too pretty Aussie boy. Like, you know, I think he didn't cut as deep as Katniss and Peter were able to. Duh, because they're the better relationship, but he just didn't give that oomph. But character descriptions become a big conversation always. I'm yelling, but always when it comes to race. Mm -hmm. And I watched such an interesting video by this YouTuber named Yara Zaid, and I hope I'm saying that right. It's Yara and then Z-A-Y-D. And it's called um, The Day Rue, quotes became black. And about all the fan reaction that mm. she was able to find that was documented in like 2000, um, I think the cast was announced in 2011. And how people fully did not picture Rue as black. Now, I actually did, but that's, like, inconsequential because it's, like, I just... I remember just not thinking anything of it other than I die picture to be black because that's how she's described. Did you know that there's only... There's only, like, two character descriptions of Rue and it's one of her and her, like, satiny brown skin and then one when they say that she looks like Thresh who also has dark skin. So it's, like, how could you not picture being POC? But speaks to the audience a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, do you think that that... Thinking about 2011, I'm not that surprised. Yeah. But do you think that that's still, like, even an issue today? Because one thing I'll say before you answer is that the girl was so smart to have pointed out that Katniss's appearance is only described once. Mm. Peter's, Peter's only described twice. Gail is described, like, twice. And Katniss's only description is olive skin, yeah. brown hair, and a braid. That's it. And people were so gung-ho, like, of course, obviously, she's, like, yeah, olive skin, she's white, like, whatever. But it's, like, it's because you're assuming mm-hmm. that she's white. So now it's, like, people are like, oh, well, Rue was never described enough. It's, like, but Katniss was only described once, mm-hmm. and Rue was described twice. So what, you're, y'all are not on the boat. Plus you're just it's like, racist. why are you upset about the casting? I think it just speaks to, it's, like, so you can't see a black person as what? A little girl? Like I am confused. You don't Simply. think you don't think there are black little girls. You don't think that there are black kids who are going to be in the Hunger Games. Like it's just weird. And I of course don't want to go into this whole girl's argument. Just watch her video. But she touches on that, and she's like, "Why is it? Why is there this assumed bias that characters are going to be white automatically?" Um, do you know of any like common examples of people getting really mad over race bending? Because I don't really. No, I mean... I think, like, uh, when Zendaya was cast as Mary J. Oh, my God. Oh, duh, Little Mermaid, too. That's not yeah. a book. That's not a book. Neither of those are books. Here's the thing you'll learn throughout this episode. I really don't pay attention to adaptations. 
well that is the theme of the episode today i love adaptation i'm obsessed with them um like right now there's like this whole upsurge of like taking classic novels and doing the race change and like that's fine to me because those classic novels i don't know it's a place it's a, a place in time when they were written they're called period pieces right like where it's so far gone from our current time that like and it's also like so fantasized like like jane austen like i could see them so clearly like i actually i think i heard news the other day of a new a new uh persuasion or sense and Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen and the lead character is black now. But I don't remember, like, no one was, like, upset about it, I guess now because, like, we got used to it. (laughs) But, um... No, I mean, because no one's racist anymore. Well, obviously not. (laughs) No, of course not. We went through the Black Lives Matter movement and now everything's perfect. I think there's, like, like, like Bridgerton, like, they are all supposed to be white, like, you know... But, like, people are down for it now, I guess. I don't know. It's well, a weird, we're in a weird spot of, like, uncertainty, I feel like, when it comes to, like, casting people. I mean, there's always body politics in anything that you're casting. And, like, how much worth or value does your body have in a certain story or situation? And When you say body, do you mean, like, race or more than race? So, more like, than size, race. beauty. Size, disability appearance I don't know it's I mean and that's why there are shows like Glee because (laughs) (laughs) where everyone is welcome and everyone's represented and it's not prejudiced discriminatory or problematic (laughs) at all (laughs) but even that is like when you're trying so hard to it's just unnatural like there there are shows that I feel like do things really well in fact like just recently, I was talking to my friend because she just finished watching Anne with an E, and I really love Anne with an E. I think it's my favorite like Netflix adapted Didn't show. Didn't she get canceled? She got canceled, but it was the best show. <laughs> but like in season two, they went off book because obviously they like went through. No, no, in season three. What is Anne with an E based off of? Anne of Lauren? Green Gables. By who? Uh, I don't know. It's like a classic like children's story Glorian. it's kind of like little woman of the canadians i was like because it takes place in canada but i think like in the third season they went off book and they dealt and like introduced characters and different like class systems that were really well done and interesting in a historical setting specifically that i think like instead of just like throwing a person of color into a role and just like having them there to like, and it, and that's useful in like normalizing that like lead roles and stuff. But like uh, acknowledging culture when you're casting someone, I I also think is really important. And that's one of my problems with Bridgerton is like they mention like very briefly, and I think there's a conversation with the queen about like how she sort of uh, changed, like her marriage to the king, like change the perception of people of color in uh england in that universe but um like it was just like a one-liner uh and i don't know to me i'd rather people celebrate culture rather than just like shoehorn something in and just like you know like oh they're there 
you got what you wanted. Like, I don't know. There's there's so much more worth in like celebrating culture than just like seeing someone. To me, in my opinion. So what do you think about the argument when people people who will let's who get angry about um, quote unquote race bending or just casting people of color in roles that they are would be assumed to be white, they say, Oh, they're just doing this for political correctness. Like what do you think about that argument? Like do you think that sometimes directors are actually feeding into it because they're blindly not even celebrating culture? They're literally just because I know that it's not people who are very ignorant, obviously racist, are always gonna pull the ugh, because they're just trying to be politically correct. And it's frustrating and it's bullshit. But um, what do you think? I don't know. I just want people to have jobs, right? It's like, it's a hard thing of like, I I appreciate seeing someone on the screen. Well, Bridgerton was, was written by Shonda Rhimes, right? Not the book series. Oh, Bridgerton's a book series? Yeah. So, not the book series, but she's black and she wrote it. So mm-hmm. I guess that's great because it's a black person creating a show mm-hmm. and then employing more yeah. people of color. So it's like, that's great and everything, but I do agree with you because I didn't watch the show and it is interesting because it's like, I think reimagining history is great. That's like kind of a different form of like historical fiction, mm-hmm. but like historical, not science fiction, but like you're reimagining how history could have gone. But my question is, is like, so now I might sound totally ignorant, but from like an anthological standpoint, we have black people in Europe. So it's like Africa was at a point where now there was... Like, African royalty and English royalty, like, that's what happened. But was there African culture at all in what was going on in Bridgerton? No. Right? I don't mean to but and it's like... And there was, like, we didn't, like, touch on, like, slavery at all either. Right. Because there was slavery in Europe. Yeah. Like, I only really know American history, unfortunately. I think there was, like, one episode where they kind of, like, briefly talked about, uh, like, the dad gained his dukedom, um... Somehow. I mean, Bridgerton had a lot on its plate, I feel like, to swallow. And I feel like it was mostly, from what, seeing from Twitter, not one person was writing about, oh my god, Bridgerton handles race so well. It was all about sex. Like, it was literally all about the sex, which is probably fabulous. So do I kind of respect that maybe there's just a lighthearted drama where everyone just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I respect what you're saying because it's also, like, there are so many less... To me, it feels like you're disregarding sort of the struggles, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, ignoring or neglecting that like mm-hmm. there's a bigger picture to like what it means to be a person of color in a situation that, um, I mean, it's it's different. Like a white character going through that situation versus a person of color, like there are a whole other issues that go along with it. Mm-hmm. I think like, um, this isn't hasn't been adapted, but like Octavia Butler, I really enjoy her work. Um, I actually have her right there. Um, but I recently uh, read Kindred, and one of the things I started. Oh, I want to read that. I said. Yeah, one of the things so I started noticing about all of her work was like these are like fantastical sort of sci-fi like situations that have been riffed upon over and over again. And if no one knows, Octavia Butler is basically like one of the first like female science fiction writers after you know like Mary Shelley after I was about to say I'm like what about Miss <laughs> Frankenstein I'm after, like she's like the OG right after um like sci-fi was like co-opted or like appropriated like claimed by white men uh she was one of the first female 
authors and she just so happens to be black but she took these uh like fantastical ideas like um in uh, what's it called there's one about a vampire and there's one kindred's about time travel and it's like we know tons of stories about vampires and time travel but what she does with her characters is really include like okay but what if the vampire was black what if the time traveler was black like that changes these situations that are so um glorified for like a white person so easy like oh so fun into wait a second what are the heavier implications when race is involved and that's so much more interesting than like bridgerton yeah where it's me. like yeah i agree i didn't watch bridgerton I also don't have a lot, any, I don't have any example really where I feel like a book switched someone's race and then it, well, it, one, that would never upset me and two, it would just, I can't think of it where it like changed the character or anything. It feels like a very um, like adaptation television issue to me because yeah. I read a lot of books and I feel like all the characters, at least a little bit, like any person of color has like a cultural background that's sort of even if it's like a background character it's like touched upon in some way mm -hmm. um but that kind of gets lost when you change someone's race just for fun and not like i don't know it re i guess it does require a lot of like rewriting if you want to do it the way that like i kind of wish people did it right yeah well i feel like you're it, just you're trying fundamentally to fundamentally changes the character you're trying to the hold these writers accountable like you can't just make this person black especially if this takes place in america then you have to think about the time period i mean mm -hmm. pretty much any single time period in america being a different race being a person of color gives you a different experience so you're just saying you're just holding the authors or these creators accountable like why don't we rethink not just cast someone in the new role but add different insight for the actor or just the message and you know i guess i respect that but i could also understand why i guess some people just don't have that level you know, of I to do to dive into that because yeah that's hard. i think there's a level of escapism that's like very welcomed in like how hollywood's doing things right now of just like mm -hmm. throwing someone in a role because i mean i mean yeah, it's representation and people are getting jobs and people are creating careers off of things like that. Because I also think that might shut out, unfortunately, because Hollywood is so white and uh, racism exists. I don't want it to then be like, it's like, well, now we're going to specifically not look for a black character because or an Asian American character because we don't want to now go through this process of reimagining what the role yeah. could be because people are lazy. And so, yeah, I think we'll just call it race bending is fundamentally just like complex and definitely flawed and the term itself but is i bad. feel like this is like a trend to me it feels like very trendy oh so you do agree with the people that say sometimes people are just doing this for political correctness you think it's for points do you think it's for points not necessarily but trendy i agree but it's trendy in the way that i feel like everyone's doing it a certain way right now like yeah. there are other ways to be inclusive well, I'll say this, like, I don't want to get into just television that I like, yeah. but there's a lot of television, big casts of people that it very naturally feels like everyone's incorporated. Yeah. Um, just right off the bat, like Euphoria, mm -hmm. huge, biggest teen show, and that's a show that we has trans characters that, like, their trans is a part of their story. They're not just, like, the trans girl that's, like, plopped in. We have mm -hmm. Gossip Girl coming up, which I no one has seen yet. 
I'm really interested to see how they're going to incorporate their trans character. We have a lot of characters of color. So yeah, I think people are just more conscious. But you're saying consciousness needs to come along with like actual intention. Mm -hmm. You have to be conscious of who you're casting and like actually want to write roles for what that character would be in that setting. Exactly. I agree. Um, I hope that like also with other adaptations, like book that we've reviewed was Evelyn Hugo, which has, like, a Latina woman as, like, the lead role. And we already have all of this. Now, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't I don't want to go into it all that much because I don't know a lot about Afro-Latina politics, but everything going on with In the Heights, if anyone knows what's going on with In the Heights, if you could educate me a little bit more. But basically, the base of what I understand is that a lot of Latina people, especially Afro-Latina people, especially people who simply live in Harlem, in where it takes place in Harlem, Manhattan, um, that neighborhood above 96th Street, are like, we look nothing like these characters in this movie. So I also think, like, colorism is a huge issue, too, because if we're going to see, like, Evelyn Hugo slay the screen um, and wherever it's adapted, which I hope a limited series, HBO or Netflix, honestly, fingers crossed, because they're both really good at limited series, um, we just have some, like, an actor who, I don't know. I Because whitewash, this is simply just the argument against whitewashing is bad. Yeah. I think it's, like, Fine, we'll do it, but we'll choose, air quotes, the most palatable person for the big screen. Yeah. And that, like, even comes from, like, the way people carry themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they want someone who can, like, uphold this, like, I don't know. Like, when you see people who are celebrated, it's like, well, okay. Why? <laughs> it's like, how, like, it's like. Is the way they're acting also, like, how dignified they're acting? Also but what determines how dignified they're acting? That's the thing. It's, yeah. like, all a bias. But it's also, like, I don't want to bring someone into this, but, like, with Cardi B, like, it, it almost feels like... <laughs> Ex- bye. Well, goodbye. Saying, like, goodbye. No, bring her up. Bring her it, up. It feels the like... The bird. It, it feels like her These rise birds. to fame was sort of a joke, you know? Like they made Oh, she's a, joke. a bully a clown. Yeah, they made a joke of, like, the way she goes about the world. I don't know. Like, oh, yeah, her behavior, her yeah. identity. She's a clown. She, and I, I, in the past, like, I hope, her rise to fame is just being an entertainer. But what's, enter- what about what her is, is entertaining, entertaining is so questionable. And, like, I, it, I, I don't know. It speaks to, like, well, why are, like, is this wider audience so entertained by her? Yes. I mean, I've never seen white girls latch onto someone like that. Like, every sorority in the world, I don't, I mean, all the girls we went to high school with, it was like, oh, Kerr, join. The, and with the pictures of her and her and Cardi B illustrations, as she was on t-shirts, like, everything. And I mean, not to whatever, but Cardi also stole that from, like, queer culture or whatever. But, we'll, like, like, we're not going to talk about the larger Gar- yeah, issues issue, about but Cardi, but... Cardi, in general, not a fan of her. Um, have I called her a clown in the past? Yes, because she literally has done horrendous things to people that I really love mm-hmm. and that I'm fans of. But outside of that, I don't want to be taken as... Because I will admit that she was completely tokenized as the entertaining, mm-hmm. entertaining, crazy Afro-Latina, Afro-Latina woman that she was. Um, now, did she lean into... Is there this argument, like the Sofia Vergara argument? Like, yeah. she was always, like, um, uh, tokenized and laughed at for an other othered for her accent which is just like her accent because the girl speaks spanish but also she was the highest paid actress of like 2019 on modern family so she's running to the bank i mean sometimes i think to myself 
um, I'll act like a crazy fag on television. I'll be your stereotype. Give me money. Like I put that's a personal boundary for me. Yeah. But no matter what, though, you know, because I don't think uh, Sofia Vergara's blame. No, not at all. I'm just saying like there are just such crazy societal implications. And Cardi herself, I'm sure it seems like she's living through what she's up to. She's all about her money, and she's making tons of it. Being the hypersexual, loud, outgoing, um, just like audacious. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but, but it's the, the fact way that people respond mm-hmm. that way to the, just like the specific character. And there are plenty of other characters like online that go through that same sort of growth of like, we're following you because we think you're crazy. Yeah. It's like, why do you think they're crazy though? They're just. Yeah. And I don't listen. It's not like specifically. It's not specifically anyone's fault, but I guess the point what you were trying to tie to is that it's like, I don't know, like, are you trying to say that, like, because of the way that Cardi B has been sensationalized, Hollywood and casting and stuff like that has a problem seeing, like, Afro-Latina women as, like, fitting characters that them would get whitewashed because white women are much more, have a different reputation. Is that what you're trying to say? This type of people they cast for these gender, I mean, race-bent characters... (laughs) sort of have an air about them that's very different from, like, how Cardi B acts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. they're not going to cast... And I will say, Cardi B is arguably one of the most, in in the past, you know, modern pop culture right now, successful Afro-Latina women. She's one mm-hmm. of the most famous around the world, well-known, making the most money, probably from all the shit that she's doing. So it's like, why don't we reward more people like Cardi B with roles outside of just the girl we're going to laugh at? That's yes. what you're saying. Yes. Got it. I agree. I totally agree. Um, and I hope Cardi keeps doing what she's doing as long as she just stops making music. But, um, and I <laughs> don't care. All her don't other problematic. All of her other problematic things, which we, this is not the podcast for that. Um, stream beaming up Scotty, especially fractions. But, um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's a really good point to make because I think, I think like Hollywood and if we're just going to establish a Hollywood is white. Yeah. So white culture, whatever that means, <laughs> like whatever that means. I don't want to like say white, but latch on to their own ideas of what a person of color is. Like mm-hmm. uh, Latino women are so funny and cool in that way, but not when we're going to put them in a movie as an emotional lead. I mean, JLo has led comedies, dramas, everything. She's a really great actress. Um, and she was like probably the girl. I think I think she's like the one of the one of the most famous Latina women to come out of America. Because of course I'm not trying to speak on like whatever's going on in, in other like actual Latinx countries. Um, and something about her has always been so palatable. I don't know what it is. The skin tone, most likely. Not no accent, most likely. I don't know. But um, like <laughs> most Latina women probably don't look at like. Camila Cabello and think, oh, I'm so glad she's Cinderella. Like, what? You know what I'm trying to say? Because she's playing yeah. Cinderella. Because it's like, I'm just, I'm just making that assumption. Because, again, it's like, I think that's a sort of people of color. And when I say sort of, I just say, like, light skin. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is attracted to. So now with Evelyn Hugo, I need to know that it's going to be in the right hands, a.k.a. not CW. And they're not going to cast, I don't know. But it was sort of a plot point that she was able to sort of blend in to Hollywood. You know what? Perhaps you're right. But it'll still be probably, I mean, listen, I don't know. Let's read more books with Latina leads, simply. I should. I mean, I don't know any off the top of my head. I don't know any. I've been like, on this, like, I've been reading a lot of like Asian-led books recently because that's a new, 
I mean, that's another problematic thing is like all of a sudden there's a ton of Asian um, authors and books about Asian culture. Um, but is that brought on? Is that the crazy rich Asian effect? The crazy rich Asian, the K-pop effect. It's like, is that part of like the fetishization? Okay, so here's the scale. This is the, <laughs> this is, this is the um, what's the word? The scale, the tipping scale, the line we walk. So now it's like, are we happy that there's more representation? Like personally, Jolene, are you happier that there's more representation? But also, do you think now it's crossing a line over into it's just once again tokenizing a trend in something? Like, can we have both? Like, is there a, a room where there's an organic rise in, well, K-pop is becoming more popular. It's BTS is so, and Blackpink, are so <laughs> successful in America. What is this just, there's this unquestionable attention towards Asian culture now. Is it that maybe it's falling into the wrong hands? Is it more important about where it comes from than, you know, who's creating and who's funding and who, where the money's going? And are there any, like, books you could think of just to tie it to? Like, what do you... Okay, you... here's the thing about the books. <laughs> <laughs> she just pulled her hair back and was, like, ready to go. Um, so in YA specifically, because I feel like in YA you can clearly see, like, the trends a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the, the intention of publishing a book is so much more clearer in YA than I feel like in adult fiction, just because YA is just so if so fast in following trends, more so than like adult fiction that you can just kind of forgive. Like, who reads adult fiction, really? That's my question. Oh, we have a biracial calling us in <laughs> the studio. Let's ask her a question. Joining us in the studio is my <laughs> bisexual, biracial bestie, Josephina Mora. Uh, <laughs> Don't get are up. You, are you recording? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well then I'll call you later. <laughs> Do you have a story time? Wait. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I would have loved to have asked the question, but um, it's fine. She's doing her thing. The other thing about publishing is um, it's about a year behind. Like the books that are on the shelves right now are books that they started, like they, they were ready to publish last year, basically. But the pandemic, they didn't publish them. They did. Oh. So why are you no, saying it's a year behind? No, that's just how publishing works. Everything's a year behind. So you, oh, so the I thought you were saying because the pandemic. The publishing okay. industry has to like forecast a lot of like what is going to be popular the next year when these mm-hmm. books actually do come out. But um, like two years ago, I would read these books that borrowed heavily from Asian culture, but they were written by um, white women. and i'd be like okay girly what do you mean by borrow like it would be about asian people yeah it'd be about asian people it'd be like like this weird like bastardization mixed culture like east asian specifically because i mean we've gone through this a lot like in the 90s like Orientalism was very popular in the Harajuku 90s. girl. Exactly. And Miss like the, even the trends, <laughs> like and even now we're seeing like the dragon shirts back, like the chopsticks in the hair, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um so like a similar thing happened in YA where a bunch of these like white women were reading or writing these books that were this weird like conglomeration of East Asian culture that <laughs> oh, sorry. Were sorry. 
to me, I felt like I had to read them because they were, I don't know, they was the only thing on the market. I was, tell me if this is offensive, but I was going to say it's like a, like a wasabi steakhouse of books. Like, it's yes. just the fusion it's of the like, fusion. you go to the wasabi, which is like the local hibachi restaurant, and you're going to get like food from just all over yes. the Asian continent. And I'm not yeah, saying yeah. you can't like come up with a world that's like Asian influence that's not, you know, specific. I think that's powerful, right? It's it's, it's <laughs> if you do it right, you do it right. But do I want to read that coming from a, a white woman? No. No. <laughs> not at all. And there's listen, as much research as a white woman does, <laughs> there's something in it that's not going to hit right, right? There's something yeah. in it that's not going to feel well, right. Well, don't you have to experience things to experience things? Exactly. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I can't relate to race at all, but it's like when straight people are going to write, like, gay things. It's like, I'm so happy you think that my life must be like Love Victor. Yeah. Who the author could It's either Love Victor or hypersexualized, which, I mean. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, no, but you're not wrong because even shows like Euphoria, where we have queer representation, we also have, like, pedophilia, predatory, horrible yeah. sexual assault. Like, queer kids grew up with their characters that they pulled from mostly from skins yeah mostly from like not nice little wholesome places and i and listen sometimes being gay is not wholesome i mean everything's changing that's great but um yeah a lot of being queer took place in dark shadows where that's what it that's simply it's hard but um all i was trying to say was was yeah (laughs) people need to experience things and write about them because i don't know if i could ever write about anything that so just recently I read this book, and I wrote a book review on it. Um, It's called The Walled City, and I'll tell you why I had problems with it. Um, It was written by who? Sorry, uh, let me let me call them out. Give me yeah. Um, (laughs) The Walled City by this white woman, uh, Ryan Groudon. It's a woman, and it's about this fictionalized city that borrows heavily from Hong Kong's Kowloon. It was this basically a slum in Hong Kong that was heavily populated, heavily like dense. Like you couldn't see the sunlight in this slum because it was so, I'll I'll show you pictures. It was so dense. It's not there anymore. It was changed. It was torn down and turned into a park. That's (laughs) powerful. Um, but like, this is what it looked like. So like it would be daylight and you'd be walking the streets and you couldn't see anything. Like you can imagine. It's kind of like basically like Blade Runner sort of inspired. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You you get it. It sat in my, um, currently reading for a really long time after I finished it because I didn't really feel like I wanted to review it right away. Um, but the longer that it's said in my currently reading, I sort of realized why I didn't want to review it. So I said, but there was an inkling of discomfort I tried to ignore while reading the book and now writing this review that I found myself conflicted about. This book is written by a white author who admits her direct inspiration for the setting was a Hong Kong slum in an almost perfect one-to-one ratio. So this is more than taking inspiration. This is just like using it and renaming it. Um, 
but she denies labeling it historical fiction. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, so couldn't she have just written her little historical fiction moment yeah. then? She says Which it's, also it's not been... historical fiction, instead opting to just change the names around. I think it's fine to be inspired by other cultures. I even encourage it. I also think, think it's fine to write about cultures, other cultures as long as you research and report respectfully. But what this book does is not claim to be historical fiction while not abstracting the inspiration enough to warrant a different genre. It has found itself in a dangerous middle ground. Instead of using the intriguing history of Kowloon as a delicious source material to build what could have been a potentially breathtaking new world, it reads more like, dare I say it, appropriation. What readers get <laughs> is lazy word. world building, a cheap copy written from the perspective of inhabitants of a culture by a person who has never known it. Oh, unfortunately, it's just not different enough from the source material to sit right with me. Okay, so that poses a question I have, which is, do you think that people now, I don't know, I think, to, do you think people who are not from a certain culture can write historical fiction about another culture? Yes, I have an example. Okay. So, I have been a fan of Ruta Sepetti's since her first book came out, and I've read every single one of her books after. She's basically a historical fiction artist, uh, um, historical <laughs> fiction writer. And her most recent book um, is called, <laughs> let me find it. We're in the Goodreads right now. We have three computer screens up. We're like <laughs> in, we are in the studio. It's like. called The Fountains of Silence. And this takes place in Madrid, in Spain, during um, a fascist dictatorship. Okay, gorge. Right. But the main <laughs> character, the main character is an American who's half uh, Hispanic, half, I guess, Spanish. It's not Hispanic, right? <laughs> They're from Spain. <laughs> Let me just cough. Yeah, no. Just European. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's half, but he grew up in America, and he visits this place, and he, he visits Madrid, and he lives in this hotel. And the story is mostly told from his perspective. And she even says in the notes in the back, like, I knew it was important to tell this story, but I also knew it was important to not claim any ownership over this culture mm. because there was no way that she could have told this story correctly from the perspective of someone who actually lived in that culture. So she made sure to like write it from the perspective of someone who was an outsider because that's what she was, an outsider to this historical situation. And I feel like at least if it's in historical fiction, you're not co-opting these cultures to create some sort of different thing. And yeah. people actually struggled through mm -hmm. this, whatever this, you know, whatever the struggle is that you're basing it off of. You're actually just diving into like, this actually happened and what an interesting thing to put a character mm -hmm. through that I can create a character for that reflects where I feel like I can write from. I think that's an argument, too, with the book <laughs> Mudbound, which we may or may not be talking about at some point. Not as a review, but that's just a clue. Um, by Leslie. I want. I was going to say Leslie Jordan, but that is that. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Jordan did not write. It's, and didn't Mudbound the, like, Hillary Jordan? Hillary Jordan. There's no white characters in that. It's completely... No, there is white characters. Oh. I would argue that she used the black characters in the novel to frame the white character struggle. Well. That's what I got from this book, Mudbound. I didn't that really they read were, it. They, so. they were accessories to the story of the white woman who was struggling in this book. Yeah, you're probably right. 
the adaptation sort of recognized that and they sort of flipped it. Because oh. I feel like all of the uh, like commercials and marketing was all towards like it was all of the black characters, right? Like I, I just don't remember, remember Mary J. Blige. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember any of the white characters. That's why I don't even think there's white characters in it. I mean, I thought there was white people in it, but I thought it was about a black family. Do you not remember? I wrote a whole essay that I, I talked about. I talked about her sexual submission. Oh, you did! <laughs> oh my god! And, and did you like read it aloud? No, uh, that was the essay that our twelfth oh. grade <laughs> AP Lit teacher photocopied and badly blacked out my name and then distributed to the entire AP Lit class. But like the entire, everyone in the grade who took the class, like people who weren't even in the room, like yes. everyone. I do remember. Yeah. So I love how I was like, yeah, you read it to the class. You're like, no, I did not consensually. I actually anything. didn't read it to the class. Uh, our perf- teacher did. <laughs> And then someone had the nerve to be like, oh, she did, she used the wrong word here. I think she meant this. And I was like. And then this other gay person <laughs> in our class was like, she's right here. The she in question. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's her. Ew. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. But yeah, I don't, I don't think Hillary Jordan really had the right to do all that. And I actually got the, got the chance to ask her that yes. question. And if I, because rem- we were, we had the utmost No, because the other part of it was she submitted it to this, comp- like, uh, this award for, like, diversity award. And oh, she won it. That. She won the award. It's on the cover of the book. But she, it's a white, like, did she have the right to submit it so, to that committee? No, because, again, I think just it's flawed from her conception of what what the story itself is flawed her writing it is flawed and i got the uh, opportunity to ask her in a skype call that our teacher was able to get for all of us um and i remember bellwether prize well thanks bellwether um for giving it to her because i don't think she should have gotten it especially because i asked her why we had to write questions i was being a little bit edgy and I did I I just wanted to ask her like more of a, a question that cut a little bit deeper mm-hmm. which was just do you think you had the authority to write this story as a white woman and she my teacher was like ask this and I was like okay and I knew that it was going to be like a question but I was like let's see what the girl says and I asked her and she basically just said that she has black family yeah and I was like same I wish I was just like yeah same because I don't know what I would do I mean I know I wouldn't do I, and I she's uh, definitely like been put through the ringer like with that question yeah she had a nice but... little prepped answer and it was just like I did so much research and and I think the first thing she literally said was I have black family um I was like all right listen I don't again historical fiction I think you just said it really can be written by someone if they do it who's not part of that culture if it's done the right way but not if they're going to take white characters because don't you think it's probably a white woman writing about another white woman mm-hmm. maybe subconsciously even going to make them like victimized or something or mm-hmm. the one that like is so obviously seen as you know oh we feel bad for this person um yeah duh white 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 characters I think that's what we've been saying the whole time taking it all the way back to the Hunger Games Rue isn't white like well then I don't I'm not going to feel bad. I'm not going to see her as innocent. I'm not going to see her as I feel bad for her. So, yeah, yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. And I didn't like her answer. And don't read Mudbound. I want to let's watch the film. Maybe. <laughs> it's a little too late if this is the episode. About yeah. <laughs> um, hopefully we don't talk about Mudbound like ever again. Um, but, yeah, I'm really glad you touched on Asian American representation, too. Because I can't think of a lot of books that are really popular other than... That's why I said the crazy rich Asian effect, because yeah. we all know that was like a multi-million dollar little 
And it was Jackpot. a good movie. <laughs> it was a very... The wedding? Yeah. The wedding. Like, I like that in the movie they were rich and they were actually rich. Like, that was a rich wedding. Like, you had water come down the aisles at your wedding. You would have had to build the building yourself or something. <laughs> Redo the piping. I don't understand how that, they did that. Oh, my God. And I used to listen to the cover of... of can't help falling in love with you from that movie in the car. I would. Sad. Um, all right. Another really interesting thing about adaptations that gets t- spoken about a lot is, um, okay, so we have characters that are written at a certain age mm-hmm. because the book's written by an author for a certain audience or whatever they want. Now we're going to bring it to Hollywood. And um, I think this is specifically something that surrounds women and it surrounds um, directors that are, we, can all, we all know directors are mostly men. Mm-hmm. Producers are mostly men. Um, and we all know sex sells. So how do we feel about when we see books? Um, and you definitely, I know, have some in mind where actors, characters are aged up to fit, to basically change stories so that we can have adult actors play them, introduce sometimes sexuality and love Mm -hmm. into storylines that never even called for it. Do you think that that's inappropriate? Do you think that it ruins the story? Like, come on now. Well, I don't like it, point blank. Because the thing is, how many kids are reading? (laughs) Like, truly reading? You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's so many stories out there about children being children. But when it comes to the big screen for these blockbuster movies, there's such apprehension in casting children. And the problem with uh, that I have with it is Being like, a child actor is really hard. No, I'm kidding. It's fine. I mean, yeah. It's hard. There's <laughs> other issues that come with... I think there are healthier ways to be a child actor than, you know, the myriad of We are advocates for the Child Actors Union. I read Naya Rivera's autobiography. So enlightening. The thing that confuses me now, though, is like... Serious like um, Stranger Things, even Anne with the Knee. Like, those were children and they... Those shows are insanely popular mm-hmm. and they were popular for a reason it was because mm-hmm. one kids didn't like they were played by kids and it was kids doing kids things. really well written yeah shows and i was uh, stranger things got bad in season three when they were all trying to get all with it yeah exactly yeah um when they started having to kiss each other yeah um like they're teens but it's like that girl the redhead it was only introduced to be the love interest and Eleven's like an alien. <laughs> like, she, why does she have to fall in love with this boy? Yeah. Who's so funny. But, like, why? It, anyway, I don't want to talk about it. That, I don't want to talk like, about Stranger so Things. So it's confusing to me that, like, those series are so popular. And Stranger Things in particular is, like, so marketable. And even It Part 1 was, like, insanely popular. But they're still not getting the clue that, like, people, like, people will watch kids be kids on mm-hmm. TV and in movies. And obviously there's a problem with sexualization. There's a problem of like when we were kids and we were watching Disney Channel, like the actors were all in their 20s, but they were playing 17, <laughs> Monique from High School Musical was 30, like one in this, I think literally the second movie. And like good for her, she got booked, but um, still so weird. But there was also another like uh, inverse problem specifically with women of for these like adult-centered films, there would literally be, like, underage girls casted to play opposite of 40-year-old men. Megan Fox. One example. There are many examples. Yeah. 
Yeah, men like to do things like that. So, <laughs> especially men in the, still, they just are. I would hope they don't get away with shit to like be that. Honest, like they should just start casting ugly people. <laughs> it wouldn't be a problem anymore. I'm here for ugly representation. Come on. Yeah, Someone where's the ugly me. representation? Well, that brings up Hermione. Because, honestly, not to call her ugly, but that's a whole thing was that people, there's this argument that um, Emma Watson was just much too pretty. The same argument happened with Pride and Prejudice and Keira Knightley. They were like, she's too pretty to play her. Yeah, part of Hermione's whole identity, what makes her whole relationship with, specifically in like the fourth book, where she Mm. she gets this hot guy who's like, everyone's like, oh my god, his name might be Victor Crumb. I hope I'm right. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, this hottie from the new other school, he came to Hogwarts, and, like, she's the date. And people were like, Hermione, and even though that's mean, because everyone's, like, calling her ugly, she has this confidence that that's this really unbridled intelligence, confidence, personality, that she won't let get stamped out, because even though she's always known as that weirdo girl, meanwhile, Emma Watson, I mean, I don't know if Emma Watson, I picked, consider her, like, the prettiest woman ever, but duh, she's so pretty. I mean, she has, the, like, these beautiful features, Super easy on the eyes, Gorgina, like, we all know that. Like, so, imagine they casted these kids and then they got ugly, what would they have done? I fired them. I mean, <laughs> I think sometimes, like, there was, uh, Harry Potter was also re- really well cast, because that's, I mean, that's really hard to do, because they all were cast when they were 12. Yeah. And when she was younger, they did the whole hair thing, they gave her the really ugly, big, But yeah, but hair. as she got older, she, she, I guess she started doing the curly girl method. Yeah, <laughs> like, obviously, because she looks Jenning in the later movies, um, she's not like the nerd girl at all. So I don't know. And no, I, you know, if Hatsune was here, I would ask her why she wrote certain <laughs> storylines into the book because she does have like a weird little thing with Harry in the seventh one. Or is that just in the movie? Well, the problem with the movies were. That they started releasing them before the series ended. So I feel like... Wait, are you kidding? Yeah. Why did I not even know that? Really? Yeah, I think the first movie came out after like the third book came out. I never really watched the movies. I was more of the book. When I was reading the books, they were all out. And I feel like they were all out by the time we were in like fifth grade. Yeah, they came. the last book came out when we were in like fifth grade. But I thought you were saying the movies were ahead of the books. No, they came out like... No, the books were... The books... Oh, I just heard what you said opposite. I thought you said the movies were coming out before the books were made. No, but a lot of decisions were made in the last book that weren't reflected in, like, the little things in the movies. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. I know what you mean. So, like, a couple of the movies came out before the last book came out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they didn't know what they were heading towards. And then the book came out and they're like, oh. I mean, I think it wrapped up fine. I didn't even watch the last two movies. They're good. I watched them this year with Lauren. Oh, good. Yeah, they were of fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. I just, I just hate how it got so gray. It's like, come on. Oh, the cinematography. There's a really great. I don't know if he's like really great. I feel like he's low key a little racist. Um, sorry, he said something that I didn't like. It was about Hermione being black. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he makes fabulous video essays on YouTube. I don't know his name. He's this little white boy with a dog, and he talks all about. How he ranks all the Harry Potter movies, and how this uh, with each director, cinematography would change so much, and they got they get really dark. 
<laughs> I think they were doing the whole like, well, the kids who read the books are now grown up, so let's make the movies more grown up too. Well, it's gonna work with iCarly, so yeah, I I hope I really like the first Harry Potter movie. I think it's so fun and colorful. The Chris Columbus movies they read as like a. Uh, you know, Home Alone. He directed yes. Home Alone. Yeah. It comes off as like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I think Christmas movie. You're going to learn a lot about me throughout this podcast. About she loves life. family and friends. I, I, I'm very attached no, to like but childhood. Prisoner of Azkaban was actually directed by someone different from like, he's the only one who directed just Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. He that made vibe. it. Vi- that, but that vibe was good yes, for that movie. it was movie. weirdly like. Good. It was, I remember watching that for the first time. It changed. It shifted. The opening scene mm-hmm. on the bus. I was like, yeah, yes, it changed. It shifted the whole series on its head because yeah. you had just come out of two Chris Columbus films. You had to, I think that's when the new Dumbledore came in too. Yeah. So it was like a whole different vibe. Anyway, bottom line, aging characters up, I feel like it always has to do with sexualization. And you were saying, what's it called? The chaos walking? Yeah. You're not into. Well, I, I do this thing where I'll read a book and I really love it. And then I just don't want to watch anything. Okay. But is it because they changed the characters' ages? No, I probably wouldn't have watched it anyway. Oh, okay. I don't know. There's like, unless it's like a really, I don't know. I'm not like into like blockbuster, like that blockbuster feel in movies. If I'm watching a movie, I'm watching it for camp value. Cars. Cars. But Cars 2 is, no, Cars 2 sucks. Cars 3 is a really good movie. Is that the spy one? No, Cars 2 is the spy one. <laughs> can be erased from the universe. <laughs> the Cars renaissance that's happening right now, let me let me read the chapter book that was made based off of the Cars universe. So we can review it. The the movie to book. I love the movie to book pop, pop, pipeline, pipeline. Scholastic book fair pipeline. Yeah. I never trusted those books. I'm like, why would I want to read about kids who go to East High from High School Musical if it's not just trying Gabriella? Um, so funny. Although, you know what movie, like, you know those, like, like Disney always had, like, the Disney movie books? Mm-hmm. Those were always good. I don't know how to really wrap this up, but I think I learned a lot. Well, we talked a lot. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I like doing, I would love doing these types of episodes because when we're not really stuck in the perimeters of let's really get into just this one book also when i feel like i can't read something because i won't i will not say what book i didn't want to read that i just couldn't get through we will review it one day i know we will but um we have much more interesting episodes i think coming down the pipe (laughs) why is that on your facebook it's teen vogue teen vogue is gay like they're so woke like only teen vogue would post about anal sex on facebook um Yay for anal sex. Bye, guys. Love you. Thank you so much for listening to GBF. This has been Rob. This is Geraldine. Okay. And if you like more episodes like this, let us know. Follow us on Instagram at GayBookFriends. Me at OhMyGodVerson. Me at GeraldineLuglio.com. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, that. Look at us. 